and I don't know if you remember this or not, but one of the first years we sent Mason, our oldest son, to camp was the year you tried to kill him with, with <laughs> the orb. I that. The, you oh, remember the Zorb. The, the Zorb. Zorb. Okay, yeah. the Zorb. So the Zorb used to be this <laughs> immense, like, 10-foot inflatable ball that you would put kids inside yes, yes. and roll them down, roll a, hill down a hill at a million miles an yeah, hour. Yeah. And you, for some reason, told my 7th grade or 8th grade yeah. son to stand at the bottom of the hill and catch the Zorb. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. So here's this 10-foot <laughs> projectile weighing half a ton going 200 miles an at hour. At a very fast pace. And it hit my son and kicked him 30 feet up in the air. I mean, Hello and welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Uh, my name is Dan Dimite and I am really excited for this show. Today we're going to hear from a longtime and good friend of mine, Mr. Ryan Cody. Ryan, what is up? Good to have you in the studio. Thank you, Dan. So if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that we love to highlight the fact that after we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, we are called to live a life on mission, that it's no good to have this life-changing encounter with Jesus and then keep it all about me and Jesus. But we want to feature the stories and the testimonies of people who are living a life on mission after their encounter with Jesus Christ. And Ryan, your story is going to be so awesome today because you have lived life on mission as a Catholic in a big, bold way, but in a unique way, right? Uh, you were part of the Trump administration. What, what can you just like share with our audience? Like, what did you do under the Trump administration? What was your position? Sure. Thanks, Dan. First of all, yeah. thanks for having me. I'm not sure how interesting this is going to be, but we'll try our best. Mm -hmm. So, I was the chief information officer at the U.S. Department of Transportation in the Trump administration. So uh, I didn't work directly for the president, but I was working for the secretary of transportation at the time, Elaine Chao. And, of course, she works for the president. So you could say yeah. my boss's boss was the president. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just absolutely surreal, right? Absolutely. Um, again, I grew up on a farm in North Dakota, first of all. God didn't plant a more desperate seed in a more desolate place <laughs> than North Dakota. So if you'd have told me when I was 18, leaving the farm, that one day I'd be in Washington work for the president, I would have, I would have laughed. Yeah. But, but like you know, life's an adventure, right? You guys live the adventure here at Damascus. My life has certainly been an adventure. That was the culmination of just an amazing adventure in my life. So Yeah, and clearly now that Trump is no longer in leadership. You're no longer with that job, right? Yes. <laughs> Praise and, God. And, and yeah. <laughs> so what happens? You just does, does does it like is there a day where just everyone in the that was appointed just leaves? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty much. That's that is... how it works. Um, in my role as the chief information officer, there's a there's a small select group of us that are presidentially appointed or secretarially appointed. A lot of the federal, you know. Employees are, are permanent bureaucrats, we, we call yeah. them, right? Yeah, we love those. Yeah, we love those. Yeah. Um, and, but there are, there are some of us that do come and go with the administration, and, and they tend to be the larger federal departments. So think Department of Defense, uh, Department of Energy, Department of Transportation, um, those larger ones, then the, the CIOs like myself, we get to be appointed, and then we leave 
literally I left on January 20th. That was my last day. That is packed nuts. my bags. That's turned in my laptop, cell phone and went it, back home from, from a, just from a business leadership or even like a ministry leadership perspective. Like what would happen to Damascus if every four years we're just like, okay, all of the leadership of Damascus, <laughs> you're leaving and we're bringing in new leadership. And then that transitions in another four years. That just seems like that'd be really hard to run something like that. You come in, you have to make these wide, like you, you shift the culture and then the culture gets shifted again. Then the culture gets shifted again. That may be why there's a little bit of ineffectiveness sometimes in in government. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's and it's a double-edged sword, yeah. right? And and I understand both sides of the argument, and there's benefits to either. So, again, you have, uh, I think, roughly 63 federal agencies, departments, and that number may be wrong, but roughly 63 of them that that have a CIO level person like myself to run the technology strategy, and I think it is seven or eight of them hmm. are people like me who get turned over every couple of years or four years. So when you have the, the ones that aren't appointed and they can spend 10 or 15 or 20 years in the job, it's great because again, they can set strategy and they can execute it and they can make sure, you know, mission is done, but they lack sometimes a sense of passion to get mm. things done quickly because now you're just another cog in the machine of government and you might not have the executive sponsorship you need from the top to get the support you need to get yeah. the work done. So that can be detrimental to the mission. On the other hand, the model I was under is, is beneficial because I have the support of the secretary. I have the support of the president. Ultimately, if I need it, I can come in with a clearer mission, a clearer mandate, and a passion for change and improvement in government yeah. and say, I've only got four years to do this. <laughs> Let's get this Let's done. Let's get this done now. <laughs> and, and I have the clout to, to kind of push obstacles out of my way, get things done quickly. But again, the downside of that is you, you, you change you know, leaders every two, four years. And so the people that remain there in government for 20, 30, 40 years of work, they sort of get burned out on that always roller coaster ride. Yeah, of, yeah. Who's our leader today? We have <laughs> yeah. a, a new boss. Is, is he or she, you know, are they concerned about cyber? Are they concerned about, you know, what's, what's, yeah. so I understand they can become frustrated and a little burned out with, they're just trying to keep the ship steady and, and they view the people that come in, you know, in and out every four years as sort of like, oh, it's a necessary evil to have a leader, I guess. But yeah. we really have our own agenda. We're going to drive the next 20 years. and We're going to dismiss you as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be here at the end of the four years. Right. You won't. So it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah. you, you hope at best that you can come in and be effective Yeah. and, and drive change. Well, so this is super cool. And I think we're going to, I want to dive into just like questions about like how you live faith in the midst of a, a, a governmental position and all of that. But before we dive into all of that, I think we should just, your story in and of itself is fascinating. So we originally met um, back in um, 2008, 2007. I was the youth minister uh, at your guys' parish in Columbus. And um, so Ryan and your wife, Shannon, you guys have how many kids? We have 10 kids. Okay, 10 kids. So you're an entrepreneur, you're you're running governmental uh, um offices and you're raising 10 kids <laughs> that's correct that may be why you have a little bit of gray hair Doing just, let's just be honest right yeah I, I only have four kids maybe that's why i haven't got it yet <laughs> so but the uh so the 
when we met, we I was kind of I was a young lad, right, Ryan? And uh, you know, you saw in me kind of a little crazy guy. Maybe what like our our early relationship was a little goofy because you were like, I don't know if I trust this guy with my children. <laughs> you're you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Are there going to be any adults at that event? Well, I'm kind of an adult. Uh, no. So, but just it was such a joy. I think yeah. we've seen. Yeah, of your 10 kids, you've had four of them as missionaries here at Damascus. Is that right? And yeah. you've probably, you've been sending your kids to camp for how many years? My wife and I talked about this. I think it's 14 years. 14 years. 14th so year. I do think because you've had so many children at camp I, I and so many missionaries, I think you as a family probably uh, have, have spent the most time out of any other <laughs> camp family at Catholic Youth Summer Camp. So that is deserving of an award. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll build you a plaque at some point. <laughs> you probably also spent the most money well, sending your kids to camp. <laughs> well, it's money well spent, yes. so thank you. Why don't you um, share just a little bit about that? Like, what is your experience with uh, watching your kids grow up in the faith? Like, whether it was at St. Pat's or your current uh, parish and um, and the just and and their experiences of Catholic youth summer camp, like you got. What's amazing is I, I've worked with a lot of families, and when you have large families, ten kids, right? Sometimes some of the kids stay faithful, and some of the kids kind of drift away. And um, mm-hmm. all of your kids are still faithful to the Lord, and they're not just faithful, but they're running after the Lord. They're <laughs> like not. They're just like they're running after mm-hmm. Him. They're in leadership positions in the church. They're they're really giving their gifts at service to the Lord and. Uh, that's just remarkable. What, what do you what do you attribute that to? Wow, so yeah. so much to unpack there. First of all, uh, and thank you. That's very very kind, generous. Um, so I'm gonna back up just a little bit before I answer yeah. your question. To back when we first met again at at St. Patrick's, you became the youth minister, and my trust, if you will, in you was was. <laughs> Um, not misplaced, but it was skeptical. Hey, you know, I have a lot to learn. <laughs> As we all did and still do. But I think at the time, you know, we would have only had maybe five kids at the time. So you were there really when we were still having kids yeah. and, and grew into 10. Um, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but one of the first years we sent Mason, our oldest son, to camp was the year you tried to kill him with, with <laughs> the orb. that. The, you oh, remember the Zorb. The, the Zorb. Zorb. Okay, yeah. the Zorb. So the Zorb used to be this <laughs> immense, like 10-foot inflatable ball that you would put kids inside yes, yes. and roll them down, roll a, them hill down a hill at a million miles yeah, an hour. Yeah. And you, for some reason, told my 7th grade or 8th grade yeah. son to stand at the bottom of the hill and catch the Zorb. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. So here's this 10-foot <laughs> projectile weighing half a ton going 200 miles an at hour. very fast pace. And it hit my son and kicked him 30 feet up in the air. I mean, maybe he not landed 30. on his head, <laughs> came back from camp. We think he was okay. Yeah. He, anyway. he hasn't had any long-term But we did get, we got the call from the, from the camp nurse, right? And don't worry. You have a script for this, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. Everything's okay. However. <laughs> <laughs> However, Mason was hanging out with Dan. Yeah, there's Mason a, was with Dan. There's a reason they don't let me oversee the activities at camp anymore. Uh, I think the... The, you know, there's right. good reasons so for that. Part of our relationship early on, remember, every year the camp kept getting bigger and bigger and it kept growing. And it was amazing. And you would, we would talk and be like, yeah, this year we're going to have paintball. Oh, this year we're going to have bows and arrows. And I was always like, I'd be like, are you sure, Dan? Yeah. Are you, are you sure that's a good idea? Is that smart? Well, uh, and then not only that, but I think even, uh, so 
the parish we were at, St. Patrick's, was a very, it's beautiful Dominican parish. Uh, they, they just lived um, Dominican spirituality in such a beautiful, insane way. And, uh, of course, more of a traditional parish. And, yeah. uh, and so when Father uh, Lacoste had hired me, like, everyone in the parish was kind of questioning, because my youth ministry uh, methodology is definitely more of the new evangelization, right. these new methods, right? And some mm-hmm. some families who like traditional Catholicism really kind of question new methods. I actually remember a family when I got hired, they they I was I was speaking at a parent meeting about the new evangelization and and pre- presenting the gospel with new ardor and new methods, and the parent came up and said, "Well, what's wrong with the?" old methods and the old evangelization. <laughs> and I was like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Let's blend the two. And, right. But I think there was even some questioning on that too. Like what's mm-hmm. this guy going to do? And and how do we trust this new methodology, if you will, in um, evangelizing youth? Yeah. 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 Well, for me, again, just so you know, set the record straight. I loved when you came there. I, I came from Steubenville, as you know, a Franciscan grad and met, married Shanna in Steubenville, and we moved from Steubenville to Columbus. So, of course, I had a lot of exposure to the charismatic, if you will, yeah. you know, way of worship and that whole life. But what was great about Franciscan at the time, and still is, I'm sure, mm-hmm. is they so artfully, beautifully blend old and new there, yeah. right? Yeah. At the time, speaking of the Dominicans, there was a, a Dominican priest there, Father Giles Dimmick, was hmm. at the university teaching um, theology and things, and he did a Latin Mass, every weekend, the high Latin mass hmm. at Franciscan, where again, they tended to be yeah. characterized as charismatic, charismatic yeah. and the TOR is very charismatic. And so you literally could go from a Friday night fop, <laughs> right? Festival of Praise, for those who haven't been there, to a Saturday Latin mass, a yeah. high Latin mass with a Dominican <laughs> priest. And I just thought, this is so beautiful. That's this is the church. It's yeah. Catholicism. You've got your yeah. Franciscans, you got your Dominicans. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I knew you had come from that background too. You uh-huh. come from net and more of the new. And, and, so I loved it. Again, we were at St. Patrick's yeah. for the very reason that it was traditional and beautiful and ancient in many ways. But your youth ministry, you know, whatever, was yeah. I, I, was, I was all, all in. That's so. awesome. And it's worked out beautifully, yeah. right? So, well, why don't, like, so well, I do want to jump into your kids okay. and, and that faith formation. And the, but actually, you brought up Franciscan. I think maybe let's highlight just like, so your story is crazy, right? Like, so you're not, you weren't raised Catholic. You're a convert, right? No. No. You were raised Catholic. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, but maybe not conversion, but reversion uh-huh. is my story. Okay. So, <laughs> Do you want to tell a little bit about just like your upbringing and then how you entered the Marines and then how you came into faith with Jesus? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy story. I literally pinched myself every day. I can't yeah. really imagine. But anyway, so I grew up on a farm in North Dakota and I was raised Catholic, but I was raised what we kind of all were then and Sadly, no, it's just, it's just uh, Sunday Catholics, yeah. right? And now, again, I'm very grateful for it. I got the Baltimore Catechism, right, as a child, yeah. so drilled into okay, me good. for 12 years, the Baltimore Catechism, you know, to know him, to love him, to serve him, to be with him in this world and the next. I mean, it's still a part of who I am, so I have that beautiful foundation of faith, you know, teaching. But, unfortunately, again, for my parents, my family, it wasn't a way of life. It wasn't what I now understand— it wasn't something you were, it was just something you did. Yeah. And you did it for one hour a day on Sunday. You'd go to Mass Sundays, and that was it. And again, you'd go to CYO or CCD class on a Wednesday night. Okay. Those, but it wasn't lived out yeah. the rest of my life. It just, faith was something you did, it wasn't something you were. Mm. So, 
Uh, fast forward, you know, I'm 18. I I have no real prospect of anything in life. Again, we grew You're up in South Dakota, North Dakota. Oh, North Dakota. North Dakota. Sorry. I don't even know if I knew there was Catholics in North Dakota for a long. Like, yeah. really, like you just never meet people from North right. Dakota. <laughs> right. Well, there's very few of us. Yes. Uh, but again, it's a it's a beautiful state yeah. in many ways, and they've got a two two dioceses, Bismarck and Fargo, and two good bishops, I think now. Yeah. And actually, St. Mary's in Bismarck, you may know, is a very solid oh, yeah, Catholic university. university. Yeah, yeah. Doing they beautiful wrote the, things the there. Book, uh, the president there wrote the book um, from, oh, what's it called? Uh, apostolic Mission, right? Yeah. They're just talking about this call that we're living in a new apostolic yeah. age. Yeah. yeah. And Focus, you're very familiar with Focus, is, mm-hmm. is heavily in North and South Dakota and Minnesota, that region. So, wow. so lots of Catholics in yep. North Dakota, very active, <laughs> faithful. Um, but again, I grew up in a, in a Catholic understanding that it was just something that I had. It wasn't something really lived out every day. So I, I joined the Marine Corps to get out of the, the, the state, find something to do with my life, give it direction. And one of the best decisions I ever made, it gave me a foundation of discipline and things in my life that I use to this day, um, work ethic, yeah. anyway. But, but again, I was, I was in the Marine Corps as a young Marine and not really faithful. You know, I, I would go to mass when I could, and but I was lukewarm Catholic at best. Um, and what really began my what I call reversion or conversion to becoming authentically Catholic yeah. was I was stationed in Okinawa, Japan, for my very first duty station. And as you can imagine, from a kid from the farm <laughs> to be thrust into a foreign country overseas, Japan, like it was all alien to me. Like yeah. I was just disoriented and lost. And then. For whatever reason, I don't know, maybe I was hungover and needed <laughs> something, I went to Mass. They have a base, you know, chapel and a, hmm. and a priest. The military provides, you know. And and I remember distinctly that day being like, okay, this is familiar to me, wow. right? Everything else is foreign and alien to me. I'm, I'm no longer on the farm. I'm like Dorothy out of Kansas. Yeah. But this feels familiar. This wow. this mass feels like the mass I grew up with all the time. Again, it was a very, very small seed that was planted at that moment. So I lived in Japan for a year, and I became a little more faithful mm-hmm. and Catholic and was routinely going to mass, but it still hadn't yet hit me that there was a bet, bigger, better, bolder way to be Catholic. But my next duty station I was assigned was Cherry Point, North Carolina, Marine Corps Air Station, mm. Cherry Point. And there is where God really said, all right, you are mine. I love you. Um, I got a plan for your life. Yeah. It's, it's going to be amazing. Just hold wow. on for the ride. So I meet then on the base there the Navy chaplain, Catholic priest, a guy named Father Bill Thompson, Father William Thompson, um, and radically changed my life. Wow. Uh, he encouraged me to volunteer on the base in the, in the program, so I began to teach fifth-grade CCD classes, which, for the record, I'm not a good fifth-grade teacher. Would, would those have been just other military families? Yeah, de- you're families, they're, they're dependent, they're, yep. they're children. So teaching fifth-grade CCD, and then he said, you should, you should start a youth group, become a youth minister. I've got high school kids that need youth ministry, and I'm, and I'm like, I'm in no place to be a youth minister. But, but again, Father, he believed in me. Yeah. And, and he didn't have anyone else. Didn't have anybody yeah. else. So was, <laughs> You'll do. <laughs> so, um, oh gosh, I'll try to get through this quickly, but it's, it's quite a story. Yeah. What happened was, again, I was leading a double life. So mm-hmm. as a Marine, you can imagine, uh, we're hardcore. Yeah. And we, we work hard, we train hard, we party hard. 
and I was at the beach, North Carolina, Havelock, Cherry Points, right on the beach. So when I wasn't being a Marine, I was probably at the beach, yeah. drinking too much, partying too much, doing a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing. And, and I remember, again, these moments in our lives where the Lord convicts us and says, are you sure? Yeah. I had been out the night before, drunk, partying, acting like an idiot, like young Marines tend to do, and probably doing immoral things. And the next morning I had to go and do youth ministry to these high school kids that I was, and I literally just stood there convicted. Wow. Of, of like, you're a fraud. Like, you, you, Lord said, you cannot stand up in front of these kids and, and preach them, teach them the word and tell them to be holy and be good when you're doing this double life. Yeah. And I just knew then I had to make a radical change. Um, so that was happening at the same time that I met a, a woman who had six daughters and no <laughs> sons. Okay. Uh, and I hope I'm not outing anybody, here for all this, but this is a beautiful story. So, um, so Phyllis Vermilia was her name and she also was teaching in the CCD program. So, um, she, I was 20. So, and she was probably 40 something, but she was a teacher and she got to know me and, and, and she was like, who are you? And why is a 20 year old Marine who are, you're all idiots. Why are you working with father Bill in the parish and teaching CCD? And who are you? Yeah. You're Catholic. You're still, you're 20 and you're still a practicing Catholic. Like you're an oddity. And she literally said, I have six daughters, no sons. Four of them are marrying age and eligible. Please just marry just any marry of my daughters. Them. Cause I want them to stay Catholic and be you appear to be Catholic. And so I got to you appear to be, Catholic. you appear to be Catholic. <laughs> Um, and of course, she, as a parent, was worried about her daughters yeah. losing the faith, leaving the faith. She thought she'd marry me off to one of them. And so what began there was a beautiful friendship and relationship with this mm. woman, Phyllis. And she began to invite me to her home, and we would do Bible studies and prepare for our CCD lessons. And she really began to show me what the church, you know, opened things up for me. Introduced and, to her daughters, yeah. Uh, she did. <laughs> None of that worked out. None of that worked out. For the record. Um Oh gosh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. But actually, another funny part of the story: her <laughs> oldest daughter at the time, I won't, I won't name names. She's like, you can date any of them except her, okay? <laughs> because I think, and and I ended up for a little time dating her. Okay, <laughs> it didn't work out, but but again, it was a it was a beautiful friendship developed, relationship developed there with her. And at the time, three of her daughters were attending Franciscan. That's oh, wow. how I became introduced to that. So. As I was transitioning out of the Marine Corps, I'd done four years, I was getting out. I had had a plan at one point in my life to be a professional football player. That's another story. Yeah. That's all I ever wanted to be since okay. I was a young kid was football was my God. I, I worshiped it. And I had a plan. Again, I was going to go to BYU and play football. And um, gosh, there's so much to this story. At the time in my life, again, while I'm I'm discovering the faith in a deeper way. I'm trying to become Catholic. I'm still walking the fence. I had um, a sports car, and I had a six-foot blonde girlfriend, and I had football. <laughs> that was my life. Everything. This was post-Marine post Corps? No, in the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps. Um, so we, we, had, we had a football team, the Marine Corps. Oh, you know, you have football teams. Nice. Um, and so I, I was making this compromise with God because I knew God was calling me in my heart. And at the time... I was being recruited by St. John's in Minnesota to play football up there, but it was a D3 school. I didn't want to go play for St. John's. I wanted to go play at a D1 school. And so I was going to go to BYU and play football. And, and again, my faith wasn't strong enough at the time. Now, looking back again, God is amazingly right, providential. Had I gone there at that time in my life, who knows? I might have become Mormon. Like, mm -hmm. I just, who knows? 
Because BYU yeah, is pretty, pretty militant yeah. Mormon. <laughs> so what really happened was in a, in a period of about a month, uh, I broke my back playing football. And as I was recovering that, I wrecked my car <laughs> and survived a collision with a train that I should not have survived. Wow. God literally saved my life. And then Wait, a train hit your car. Well, I hit a train. Okay. <laughs> because trains don't tend to leave the tracks, no, right? You, what happened was it was it was sober? I was sober, okay. but it was at night and the train uh, crossing lights warning things were malfunctioning. They were Oh wow. So um, again, a, a beautiful miracle. I, I happened to have one of the girls in the car with me, this family of six daughters. The youngest girl oh was with goodness. me at the time. She was like nine years old. And so we were driving home one night. And I was giving a ride back to, to her parents at the beach. And again, this train is just all of a sudden in the middle of the road because I had no warning. And we hit the train. Wow. Uh, we both miraculously unhurt, like not even injured in any way. And yeah. you don't do that. No. You don't survive no. that. <laughs> um, in fact, tragically, the same exact thing happened a month after my accident with another uh, older couple hit that same train because of the malfunctioning gates and they died. Oh my accent so tragic. They didn't fix the gates after they you didn't. Hit. Oh, they didn't believe me when they, I told them. The train company didn't believe me. Wow. Oh no, they were working anyway. Wow. So, what happened? I injured myself playing football. Ends my career. I wreck my car. So you can imagine when you're no longer the quarterback of the football team in a fancy car. That blonde six foot girlfriend tends to leave leave you pretty quick. No, oh, okay. So, so it was all gone. One, two, three. My whole life. Done. <laughs> my and, whole life. It was gone at age twenty one. At age twenty one. Yeah, my done. my entire plan for my life yeah. was over. And God's like, all right, I got a better plan. Uh-huh. And so He showed me. He's like, you know what? Our our God is a jealous God, right? We hear that in the scriptures. Yeah, He, he wants you. Like He wants. He's like, I had three false gods in my life. These things, and they were in the way. And God's like. I'm going to remove them and you have no choice but to focus on me. So that's when, again, I was getting out of the Marine Corps. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know where I was going to go to college. And, and so the girls then that were at Franciscan says, you should come and visit Franciscan. You'd love it. (laughs) And I was like, but they don't have a football team. Yeah. Even though I couldn't play anymore. I wanted, yeah. (laughs) They they have a rugby team though. It's close. Well, that came after I was there. (laughs) But I went to Franciscan, and as you know from that place, the moment I set foot on the campus for the very mm-hmm. first time, I was, I was hooked. Wow. You can just feel, right? The Holy Spirit is there. Uh, there's such a radical difference to that place. And I, it was the first time in my life I saw the Catholic faith being lived out literally daily in front of me with people sharing the mission. Right? Were you, you know, still mission. struggling with, like, the dual life at that time? No, no. No. Again, this was at that time when God mercifully said, I'm going to remove these distractions in your life. You need to focus only on me. And I went through a period of about six months after the Marine Corps, before I went to Franciscan, where, uh, again, with, with Father Bill Thompson, by the way, he, he remained a close friend nice. to me up until his death a few years ago. Um, he literally drove out to North Dakota to see me wow. after I'd gotten out of the Marine Corps just to check up on me and see how I was doing. Uh, he was the man, by the way, who taught me the rosary. Hmm. I grew up my entire life Catholic in North Dakota, didn't know the rosary. Wow. He taught that to me. We used to pray together every day. He led me on this journey of, of prayer, you know, and, and radical commitment to Christ. And, and, and he literally made it possible for me to go to Franciscan. So not, not only was he an amazing holy priest, but he literally became like my father. Wow. Um, was it so, hard when you had that? 
transformation in the Marine Corps? Did you did the did the Marines accept you still, or was there like, oh, we don't want to hang out with Ryan anymore, or was it like, oh, okay, that's cool? Like, what was the mentality there? Yeah, as you can imagine, towards the end, it it changed a lot. You mm-hmm. know, uh, again, I would walk out of the barracks every night, walk over to Father Bill's residence on base, and we would walk praying the Rosary, walking every night. Yeah, I, wow. I love to walk and pray, and so it became. I wasn't going out partying with them anymore. I wasn't, and and that culture you can imagine. Once you're out, you're out. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the friends I had, they didn't, they didn't ostracize me. They didn't, you know. Yeah, you're just not hanging out. Yeah, with you're them just not hanging out. out. And they yeah. would just stop inviting me, you know, to mm-hmm. go to the beach or go drinking or go partying. And, it, and then they, they weren't mean or cruel about it, but they just knew something had changed in me. It was different, and I was always um, just doing something other than what they were doing. Yeah. So, was there a loneliness with that, or was it just? No, I I found a new home in the church. Yeah, I found a new home in the yeah. church. Again, I found hanging out with Phyllis. Hanging out with Phyllis, <laughs> and I got my old lady friend here. Right, <laughs> I got Father and I are praying the rosary. We're good to yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> Which also had its own challenges because what I didn't tell you was Phyllis was married to the base commander. <laughs> So he was a two-star so general. Okay. He was the base commander. <laughs> and as an enlisted Marine, you don't fraternize with, and you're with officers. And you hanging out with his wife. And I'm hanging out with yeah, his wife. He did not understand that. Yeah, yeah. And and again... W- don't worry, honey. He's going to marry one of our daughters. She yeah. would have me over to the house, and he would just come home in his uniform with his two stars and look at the young corporal in the <laughs> living room and be like... <laughs> He was not happy with the situation. They should make a movie of this. <laughs> so I, I just love that you, the way you speak of father, because I think that I have a few friends who are military chaplains and uh, they go through, um, they, they, it's a, it's a huge sacrifice uh, for them. And because the, the guys like one, one of my friends, he's ministering um, at a base right now where it's just very transient guys in and out, in and out, in and out. And so he, he's, it's hard to build even relationships with yeah. the Marines, but the, the, he said that at this base, they hadn't had a chaplain for years. And so all these guys not having the sacraments for years. Yeah. And just really special that um, I think sometimes we just forget to pray for our military chaplains. And it's right. so important to do so because they're they're providing conversion and the sacraments to the guys who and yeah. women who need it the most. Uh, like Those are such hard times. Yeah, again, I would not be here today devout Catholic father of 10, if it were not for Father Thompson. Yeah. yeah. And the, the difference he made in my life and the example he set and how he literally just taught me everything I needed to know and, and loved me yeah. and showed me, um, whether it was in the Sacrament of Reconciliation or, or you know, the Mass. I mean, it, he's, he's the reason yeah. I'm here. And yeah, military chaplains, are that's a tough life. There's not enough of them, right? There is an archdiocese of the military, you're probably aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need more priests, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's a calling for sure. It is. So let's jump into the love story. Um, Okay. Because I think the you're a Franciscan (laughs) and then um, you meet your wife, your future wife, Shanna, right? Well, there's a, there's there's more that happens beforehand. Yeah. So I go to Franciscan. um, (laughs) I spend four years there. Again, I get undergraduate degree in history. I get a graduate degree in educational administration. I thought I wanted to be a teacher and administrator. So I get a bachelor's and master's in four years. Then I leave and I go out west for a few years. I live in Wyoming. I live in Colorado. And um, I, I, I worked in education for a couple years, but then quickly got out of it because it was way too political for me. I thought education was about kids. It turns out it's about adults fighting over power and money. So I was like, oh, I'm getting out of education. Uh-huh. Um, 
so I was an idealist, right? I thought we were here to serve kids. No, yeah. no, no. We're here to serve ourselves and our own needs. So what, I got out of it. What was education? Uh, I was a history teacher and okay. theology teacher, my, my last job, and an assistant principal at a Catholic yeah. school in Cheyenne, Wyoming, oh, wow. St. Mary's. Interesting. Again, didn't last long. Yeah. And But I had a background in computers, so that's what I had done in the military. And as a child of the 80s, computers to me were just natural. So when I got out of education, I was looking around like, what am I going to do? Fortunately, I lived in Fort Collins, Colorado at the time, which HP used to be there, big presence of Hewlett Packard. So I went and got a job at Hewlett Packard that literally set me on this career path. Now I've been on it for 25 years, mm-hmm. working in technology, information technology. So, so I made a career change, but um, I found myself at 32 years old. I lived out there for about six years working. Uh, I went back to Steubenville because a, a Steubenville person had started a tech company there and they had put their tech support in Steubenville to use college <laughs> students for tech support. Interesting. And so I got a call, Hey, would you come back to Steubenville? Would you help run our tech support program? You know, technology, whatnot. So this is 1999. I'm 32 years old. I go back to Steubenville. 1999. I, I was in eighth grade. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, was when I graduated so now it's out. Highest. Yeah. <laughs> we know we've outed our ages. <laughs> so I'm living back in Steubenville now, 32 year old bachelor. Yeah. And, and while, again, I was still very devout, practicing Catholic, loved the faith, dynamic faith, I had maybe slid off a little bit into selfishness, you can imagine, 32, making a lot of money in technology. I had the, the quintessential BMW, you know, convertible. I would, yeah. thought it was a hot shot. And I was never getting married. Like, I just loved life. I loved yeah. the single life. I wasn't living a party life, but I just liked being unencumbered. I liked mm-hmm. being single. And so... Living there at the time in Steubenville, I met my wife at the job where we were both working at this job. And we did not like each other at first, you could say, to put it mildly. Um, in fact, we hated each other. <laughs> and Both she, strong personalities. Both strong personalities. She was not Catholic and had a previous marriage outside the church. She had two small children at the time. Yeah. Two boys, three and one. And... Um, again, we didn't connect, you could say. Yeah. <laughs> and it was mostly me or probably all me. I looked at her as the quintessential poster boy for what's wrong with America, right? Oh, here's a single mother, doesn't have a father. She's going to raise these kids. She's going to live on welfare. I'm going to be supporting her all my life. Like yeah. I just totally judged her mm-hmm. so harshly when I met her. I didn't even give her a chance. And so... Let me fast forward a year. It took a long time because I'm stubborn and God has to work on me. But God just so changed my heart towards Shanna, my wife. Mm -hmm. And I was able to see her in a new way. And God said, all right, how dare you judge her, first of all. And not only that, you're going to fall in love with her and she's going to become your wife. Mm. And you're going to have eight children together, raise (laughs) raise 10 total. And so it's just it's just a testament to what God can do in our lives yeah. if we're open to it. And there's a lot more to that story, obviously. So we we met in Steubenville, married in, in Holy Family Parish there in Steubenville, lived there for a short time, and then moved to Columbus in 2001, mm. where we were living up until recently. We moved to Michigan. But it's, it's a radical, beautiful love story that it would take days to unpack. Yeah. But the bottom line is God was able to change my heart and, and did so in a beautiful way. Well, I think that's what's so fascinating is that, and, and I, that's why I, I'd said that y- you were a convert. Yeah, I, knew, I really am. Shanna who was a convert, right? Yeah. That's what I, for, I had forgotten. So but, Shanna. And it's so amazing because um, 
she comes in the faith and you guys start a family and it's a blended family, right? That's mm-hmm. not necessarily an easy, uh, that's not always easy. And so you're raising these two boys that she had um, already. And uh, number one, that's just beautiful, right? And I think sometimes we're afraid in the Catholic church of like, well, what are people going to think about me if I mm-hmm. date someone like this? Or and But uh, I think there was such beauty. And then those boys have just remained so faithful and um, and. How, when you started to parent, you're, you're having kids. Uh, you know, it was fun. Amber and I, when we were young and married and have starting off our family, we'd come over to your guys' house mm-hmm. for dinner. And my favorite part of going to your house for dinner was, like, every kid had their own color scheme, right? So you have, like, six kids <laughs> at that time, probably seven kids. And, like, you're blue, you're red, you're green. I'm like, Ryan, why does everyone have their own colors? He's like, because if someone leaves their towel out, I know who left it out. If someone leaves their plate out, I know who left it out. I'm like, that's brilliant. And then all of a sudden, the the conniver in me, I'm like, well, I would just, like, take my brother's towel and throw it on the ground so that they get it. Right. trouble but but like you guys just had like that was probably like the marine corps like uh but what like For what sure. what have you your and shanna's um techniques and strategies in parenting and in marriage and family life what have they been yeah um thanks for the question by the way mm-hmm. and the remembering and and we did do that and it was definitely part of the marine corps in me that wanted to be organized right? yeah. i need to be organized and 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 as you know, parenting is a journey and it evolves and you have to change over time. So we've obviously changed what we thought we knew as new parents to, um, and there's a difference between parenting two or three or five or 10. Yeah. You have to be able to adapt and, and evolve. What, what I, and I don't take any credit really for this. It's all God. I mean, right. It's all the Holy Spirit. It's all Mary and the saints interceding for all these things. But if I could point to a few things I think that have been instrumental in our family over the years, uh, number one's the rosary. You know, from day one, because Father Bill had taught me the rosary before I ever got married. I had fallen in love with that devotion, the prayer of the rosary. When Shannon and I first got married, we just said, hey, we're going to do this every day. Mm-hmm. So we began very early in our marriage, the ritual every evening right after dinner, we pray the rosary as a family. Yep. So those boys you mentioned, you know, when we got married, they're three and they're one, and then we quickly had a child of our own. Hannah came along and then Jack and the rest, they start coming. And so we, because we always prayed the rosary every night after dinner, those kids just grew up in that culture and they knew Hey, after you clean the table and your dinner, it's yep. time to pray. So, and even when we come over for dinner, you guys would invite us to pray the rosary with you, which yeah. was so cool. Yeah. yeah. So, that is a huge part of our life. I can't imagine today life without the rosary, life without devotion to Mary, and the graces that that has brought to our family. And we still do that to this day as much as we can. If whoever's home after dinner, because now we're yeah. always all over the place with you know sports and whatnot. But if you're home, you eat dinner, you pray the rosary. Yeah. So that's huge. And then just fostering the spiritual life at home, you know, a devotion, again, to the saints. We, we had a room always in our house and still do that. We have carved out, we call it the chapel. Yep. So it's the space where you gather as a family and pray. Um, and you just have to raise your children in soaked in that Catholic culture, right? Exposing them to all the things you want them to be exposed to, fighting the, the culture of the world around us, which is you know, evil and negative, mm-hmm. and trying to destroy the family. Yeah. <laughs> Even more so now today than it was 20 years ago, yeah. right? I mean, we know today, just factually, that Satan's attacked the family. Yeah. He knows that's the heart and soul of the church, and he's attacked the family in every way possible, whether abortion or divorce or contraception, and now trans this and that. It's, yeah. it's always focused on attacking the family. So the family is where we have to defend. Mm-hmm. That's our turf, right? Yep, Fathers. Absolutely. That's 
that's where I'll plant my flag. You're not going to do that. So you have and to you, set the culture. And, and you've done family. that really well, I think, when when uh, you, you've been a defender of your family, which is awesome, yeah. like defender of virtue for them, a defender of uh, help, helping guide them in the right direction and, and uh, just really, I think, protecting them in such a beautiful yeah. way. And you have to be careful, right? Because you don't want to be overly protective. Yep. You have to let them grow up and know that they're in this world and they're in the fight, yep. right? We're the church militant. Yeah. We're in the fight. Yeah. And whether you're young or old or middle-aged, or you're in the fight. Yeah. So as your children grow and you're teaching them, you're always giving them a little bit more and a little bit more as they're mm -hmm. ready for it, right? Say, look, the fight's worse than you might think, actually. Yeah. Um, but that's okay because we've got tools, right? As your children go through baptism and first communion, they get to confirmation. Yeah. Now they're like, hey, by the way, here's, here's the rest of it. Here's the full <laughs> armor of God. Now you're fully equipped with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? You're in the fight. You're in the fight. So you just have to raise them as best you can in that culture. And I think today more than ever, because we live in the technology age where information is everywhere and available instantly, we as parents have to be willing to be vulnerable to our kids. We have to be radically transparent to our kids. Yeah. We can't be afraid to admit our mistakes to our kids, right? Especially now as I'm raising 14 ish yeah. boys. I'm in this time where I've got 14, 16, 17, 19 boys. It's wow. hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have to be able to go to them and say, look, I'm sorry. Like, I, I screwed up. Like, if I got angry at you or if I yep. was too harsh with you when I was trying to, you know, t teach you something, I have to be able to say, you know, I'm sorry and forgive me. You know, I, I do this out of love. Yep. And I'm not, but I'm not perfect. That's the best. I love because so. it's yeah. I mean, there's no way a parent's ever going to be perfect. But to be able to say I'm sorry is so critical. That yeah. That like yeah. Well, like, you mess up too, and I mess up, and that's okay. Yeah. 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 So I've started this new thing recently, like within the last year, calling what I call fridge wisdom. Hmm. So I don't know your ages of your kids yet. Yeah. But eight through thirteen. Okay, so you're not quite there. Yeah. Hang on. This, okay. is, this is the fun part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not so bad with girls, but it's more so with boys. When your boys go from 14 to about 19, mm -hmm. their brain is like a radio that they tune out your frequency, your voice as father. <laughs> okay. They just tune you out. Yeah, I still, it's off. I, I, I still have that happen to my brain sometimes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's not conscious. Like, they don't really mean to do it, but they just do it. Yeah. It's part of growing up to be a young man, growing into being an older man. <laughs> Where you're trying to figure out your way you, in the world. You learn to ignore people. You learn to ignore people. And as sons, you, you ignore your father. Because yeah, okay. I love Mark Twain, you know, Mark Twain's quote about, like, he, I'll get this wrong, but I'll paraphrase. When I was 14, my father was so stupid, I could barely stand the old man. And I was amazed at how much he'd learned in seven years by the time I became 21. And, and that's true. Like, they yeah. just have to go through this period where they challenge you, they question you, because they're becoming a man. And yeah. you're the man, and they are someday going to supplant you. But it's okay. So you just kind of hold on for the ride. Yeah. So I've started, like, a couple times a week, I'll find this really nice quote I like, or a, or a meme even. Memes can be good. They don't have to be bad. Yeah. Or a scripture past something. And I'll print it out, and I'll stick it to the fridge. So I hope that my kids will see it and read it and, and absorb the wisdom of it without me saying Because I know if I say it, they'll ignore it. <laughs> and you know because they're a teenage boy, they're right. in the fridge constantly. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So some examples might be, again, I like Mike Rowe, right, the Dirty Jobs guy. He's great at this. Yeah, yeah. He always posts things. He's, he posted one recently, which, which was a, just a picture of a blank sheet of paper. And it says, here is a comprehensive list of everything the world owes you and what you're entitled to. <laughs> 
<laughs> now that's the message I want my kids yeah, to absorb. To but if I say that, they'll be like, oh, dad. Yeah. Really right. yeah. But I stick it on the fridge and it says Mike Rowe. They're like, oh, yeah. dirty jobs guy. So yeah. I do that. So I've got one now that well, and I found. I, it's not just it's not just the rosary. It's also stuff like that, right? Because to have a Catholic worldview, it's to understand yeah. principles like that. Yeah. I love that. So I found one again recently that I just loved. And now it's in my office at home. It's going to be there forever. And it's just a really simple picture of a of a man, working man with dirty hands, like wiping grease off his hands. That's all you can see is mm. dirty hands. And it says, what I want my children to remember most about me. Mm. And it says, I'll, I'll try to get this right. It says, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I won't always give you what you want, but I love you with all of my heart. Mm. And everything in my life is about you, my mm. kids, right? So I, that's just beautiful, yeah, right? You have to be beautiful. able to admit... I'm yeah. not perfect. I'm gonna make yeah. mistakes, but I do this out of love. Yeah. And and I hope again, they'll they'll and they'll get there, by the way. Your kids, when they go through this phase, they'll come out on the other I'm side. Excited. Because Mason now, our oldest son, who's 25, uh, married to a beautiful woman, yep. Rebecca. They just had their first child. I'm now a grandfather. <laughs> uh Rosemary, awesome. the baby. It's just awesome. And to see Mason and, and our other son, Cameron, who you've had here as a missionary, mm-hmm. about to be married in three weeks. Yep. Uh, to his beautiful wife. Like they they will come out of that phase of rebellion and teenage years and and come out as beautiful men yeah. and women of god right again your question earlier like how do you do it i don't have an answer yeah. again you <laughs> you pray them there um you lead by example again you set this stage in your home of of faithfulness um and honestly I'll, i'm gonna tell you the, the greatest fear i have as a parent you know literally is that i lose one right yeah. and that's always been my prayer to the lord Lord, please ne- let me never lose one of these sheep you've given yeah. me. Like, like, take me before you take them. Like, I'd rather fall into apostasy mm. and stupidity than to have one of my yeah. children go down that road. But we as parents have to constantly pray for our children yeah. and, and just say, Lord, please let me not be so ignorant and stupid yeah. today that I'm the cause of them wanting to leave the faith. Yeah. And then, again, just constantly bringing them back to the sacraments, right? We, we go to daily Mass as often as we can because that's, that's mm-hmm. like, you yeah. know— um, summit right yep. your, your theme this summer is the source, source and, and summit, summit. Mm-hmm. it's the eucharist so you've got to get them to the sacraments uh, as a father your job by the way uh confession right you've got to hey when's the last time you guys have been in confession yeah. right white boys like and yep. so if you have to drive them you got to drive them. you got to make sure they're they're getting yeah. what they need um, well, and the nice thing is the church just provides those things for us we just need to yeah make sure that we're plugging well, them into exactly. it right and and helping to get them there i think you know, one of the, the sad realities of life today, and, you know, speaking of kids who may fall away, is the parents just, I mean, there's no nice way to say it. They're just lazy. Mm. They, don't, they don't try hard enough. They don't do enough. Yeah. Like, you have to, if you're going to be a parent, especially a Catholic <laughs> parent, you want to raise Catholic kids, you better buckle up. Yep. And you better understand it's hard work. And, and you, you don't have time to be tired. You, you just got to give that to the Lord. Right. Yeah. If well, that image, that, that picture, that the 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 dirty, greasy hands. Yeah. Uh, uh, like that's a critical part of fatherhood and yeah. motherhood. Yeah. It is hard work, and and I loved and still love being a father. Like I just loved having little kids. I loved yep. all of that, the changing of the diapers and giving baths and reading books. Like I've always just loved being a father, and and people always ask like, oh, how do you do it? Ten mm-hmm. kids, how do you do it? I've got two and I'm exhausted. How do you do? It? I'm like, look, I don't know how I do. <laughs> I just give it to the Lord every day. Mm-hmm. He provides the strength. Yep. At the, and I always said, Shannon and I always said, like, look, we, we have to give it everything we've got mm-hmm. every day until that last child goes to bed. 
then we can sit on the couch and say, oh, God, I'm exhausted. No. But as long as they're awake, awake. you've yep. got to give it your all. <laughs> I love that. And so that's really where we're still at, you know, because yeah. we're getting older and it's harder, less energy, whatnot. But you still you have to be up, engaged, yep. and every moment you can't ever take a day off, yeah. right? You've got to be constantly engaged. Um, All right, Ryan, let's jump into the Department of Transportation. So when you were with the government, yeah, the, how, did, mm. how did you balance faith and family when, when you were with the government? Because you guys lived in Michigan, but you're working in Washington, D.C. What was that experience? You were working uh, under the Trump administration during like the COVID-19 pandemic. And so like all these, it wasn't the easiest time. How did you... How are you the light in the world? How did you, how do you see, cause you've always done everything. you like, you, you were an entrepreneur for like, you've done all kinds of entrepreneurial activities. How have you brought your faith into the secular workplace? Yeah, it's a great question. And so much context I could give there. Um, and I'd like to, if I can give another shout out to God, cause God is amazing, right? His, his <laughs> like, adventure. Like God or something. Um, so you can imagine a job like this for me in my career is is the epitome of what I would want to do. Yeah, it is literally the equivalent of working for a Fortune 10 company. Mm. So to have a job of that magnitude, where I'm managing up to 70,000 employees, managing a IT budget of 3.6 billion dollars, the the amount of responsibility just of that job tiny is like of, being the CIO yeah. of Google or Microsoft. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's just a massive wow. job, and to be able to succeed at that is literally would have been the pinnacle of my career, right? So the backstory of that little bit is we were living in Columbus at the, at the time, right around the time Trump's elected. We had just moved to Michigan. And right after Trump was elected, I got a call from a friend who asked me if I wanted this job. And, and so I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is amazing, right? So I fly to Washington. I meet the people I interview, and they offer me the position. And, and I just didn't feel right about it. And I came home and talked to Shanna. And again, we had just moved to Hillsdale. So Shanna's starting a new job. Kids are starting a new school. The 10 of us at the time, we still had eight kids at home, are living in a three-bedroom apartment, yeah. 750 square feet apartment. And, and Shanna and I just looked at each other and I just said, the time's not right. Like, I don't feel good. I can't do this. Um, I can't leave you right now, my family, in the midst of this huge transition to go take the job of a lifetime, my dream job. I just, I just can't. So I turned it down. I said, I'm sorry, you know, the people, friends watching, I said, I just can't. My family has to be the most important thing. I can't leave them at this point in my life. So they were very gracious. They thanked me and said, hey, you know, uh, okay, do you know anybody who might be interested in the job? So I actually gave them a, a name of a friend from Columbia who they ended up hiring, her, her name's Vicky. She became the first CIO at DOT under Trump. And it worked out great. She was, she was doing a great job, fantastic. Everyone loved her. And... She was about 17, 18 months into the job, and she called me one night. And, and I hope I can share this. I don't know, two person, but she had a family emergency, a medical crisis, and she had to step down from the job. Mm. And she said, No one knows this yet, but I'm resigning the position, and I have to leave immediately to take care of my family. But I, when I told the secretary I was leaving, she asked for you if, if you would maybe take the job because you turned me down two years ago, but <laughs> it was a, something about family, and I don't yeah. know, maybe now that's sorted out. Like, see if he would want the job now. So I get this call in December of 2019 from, from my friend Vicky. She's like, do you want the job? And I went to Shanna, and I was like, you, you're never going to believe who I just talked to. Because, again, you get a job opportunity like this maybe once in a lifetime. 
you never get it twice, <laughs> twice in a lifetime. lifetime. And Shannon knew that instantly, instinctively, like, I don't know why, but for some reason, God wants you to take this job. This is meant to be, you go. This time, you go and you mm -hmm. take it. So very beautiful on her part, sacrificial, right? I mean, it wasn't just me going to Washington to serve, which was hard because I was away from my family Monday to Friday. I was only home on the weekends. But, yep. but Shanna had to sacrifice, and the kids had to sacrifice all of that so much. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was there for the last two years of the administration. And, um, you know, I would say that the, the primary way that I was able to witness was mostly through just me being me because I couldn't not be me. Yeah. And, and you have to be really careful, obviously, in government that you, you're not trying to preach Prostle, or proselytize. Yeah. Or you get in a lot of trouble, whatnot. But so I go to Washington and I'm immediately given this immense office. It's as big as this room, right? Yeah. It's got a private bathroom. It's got a conference table. It's an immense office. And the walls are all bare. I'm like, well, I got to decorate this place. So I decorate it with that which I want around me, which is my family. So we've got years and years, you know, generations of family photos that we grew up with where we had five kids and six kids and seven kids, eight, nine. So I print out 11 by 17, you know, copies yeah. of all these photos. I frame them. I hang them on the wall in my office and I put some Marine Corps memorabilia up. Like I've got to fill yeah. some space. Um, and Mason had just gone to Jerusalem before that and came back with a, a cross, a crucifix from the Holy Land. So I, I had that in my office. And then, I don't remember if you remember this, but you once gave me a, a statue of St. Paul oh, yeah. from here. Mm -hmm. That was in Washington. Nice. It nice. made the trip. Woo! We made it to the Trump administration. Shout out to St. Paul. <laughs> so that always sits on my desk at home, but I brought it to Washington, nice. so it's out of my desk. And so I surrounded myself, again, with, with that, which was familiar to me, like my Catholic things. I had a Bible on my desk, my family. And I went out of my way as much as I could to hold meetings with my staff in my office. Yeah. And so inevitably for the, when they come in there for the first time, they're like, Oh my God, you have 10 kids. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> yeah. right? So that led to that yeah, conversation. That, that having 10 kids easily opens the door for a faith conversation. Right. And <laughs> that's going to have, it, why? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to evangelize through that, but it's just a witness. Yeah, exactly. Right? And then again, anyone who's paying any attention to me will know that I'm a Christian, hopefully. And they'll look around the office and see, you know, crucifix, St. Paul, Bible, like, oh, all right, mm -hmm. this guy's, yeah. you know, whatever. But so it was never an overt attempt. Yeah. But, like, if I'm going to work with, like, 1,500 direct reports, IT personnel, I want them to know who I am. I want yeah. to share with them. And as time went by, it, it became easier to do because I, I believe I built trust from them. And we built a, a real good relationship. Uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm there to lead them on a mission of, you know, professional improvement in technology and whatnot, but they have to know who I am, the man. And, and so I would, I would share with them often as intimately as I could. And this is, I think one of the keys of good leadership is you have to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to be very transparent. And I, I would oftentimes have a hard time getting them to work hard. Right. Yeah. As you can imagine. Yeah. Um, if you ever listen to Victor Davis Hanson talk about, you know, the 2 million unelected bureaucrats who run <laughs> yeah, the government, yeah. they're not the most motivated employees on earth. No. So I had to try to find ways to motivate them. And one of the things I tried was to, again, just be transparent, vulnerable, say, look, I understand that I'm the new guy and you're going to have another new guy in a couple of <laughs> years and you can work for me hard or you can not. I don't, I, but I'm asking you, please work hard for me because I have some things I want to accomplish here. And I said, frankly, you owe it 
to me and my family to give it your best effort because not only am I sacrificing time away from my wife and kids, but my wife and kids are sacrificing their father to this thing called the government, right? Our country. I'm here out of service to the country, mm-hmm. ultimately. And if my wife and kids can sacrifice, by God, you guys can sacrifice. <laughs> and I want your best effort every day. Like, give me your best mm-hmm. effort. And, and I hope at times that reached some people. And in fact, I know it did because I would have people come up to me one-on-one after the fact and just thank me for being again, honest, transparent, motivating them. And like, and they, many of them would say to me, man, you're like, you're unlike anybody we've ever had before in government, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I was just authentically me and I shared as much as I could, my family and my kids with those closest on my teams and they got to know them. And in fact, a couple of times, Shanna brought the kids down to Washington and we had them in the offices and my kids are running around yeah. and we had pizza parties. And, and so I, I wanted my team to see me as, as just a human, right? As, as a man, as a husband, as a father. Like, mm. And I wanted them really to see the sacrifice too. Like, I want you to see what I'm giving up. giving up every Sunday night when I get on a plane and fly to DC to come back with you, be with you Monday to Friday. Like, I'm giving this up every week. Yeah. So please work with me and give me your best effort. And again, I think that was, that was successful. Yeah. I, was, I, I hope, um, That's again, awesome. government, I, I don't want to get into it, but yeah. it, it is really hopelessly broken and in a lot of ways we should we need to pray obviously for our country pray yeah. for our government pray that we get better at this but um it was it was a good time you know for me spiritually let me ask a little bit about this too touching on that um my spiritual life while i was there was the best and the worst right because yeah. i'm isolated i'm alone <laughs> i'm away from my family i'm sad about that a lot but at the same time god gave me uh, an incredible blessing in in the form of another priest talked about before a little bit, Father Andy Gonzalo. So shout out to Father Andy. Love yeah. you, brother. You're an amazing priest. Um, I don't know if you do this, but whenever I travel anywhere, even now for work, the very first thing I do is I like, Google the hotel location and I'll Google the nearest Catholic church because mm-hmm. I want to get to Mass if I can. MassTimes.org. MassTimes.org. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as I was discerning, as Shannon and I are kind of both discerning the second time whether or not I would go to Washington, I went there and I Google and I look and there's a Catholic church two blocks from the Department of Transportation. Convenient. Convenient. Thank you, Lord. So St. Vincent de Paul Parish, home of the Nats Mass, by the way. So the Washington Nationals oh, nice. baseball team is right there in the Navy Yard. Um, so the Department of Transportation, my office is here. One block from there is where I rented an apartment and lived during the week. And one block from there is St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Church. There you go. Where, praise God, they have a 1210 noon mass every day. <laughs> And so I'm like, this is a sign. I can come here to Washington, work this job, and I can have the daily you know, mass. And, and I did that for a long time. That's where I met Father Andy. He was the pastor there at the time. He's been reassigned since somewhere else. So okay. he's safe. But, but so that became the center of my life, right? really the Eucharist, which mm-hmm. has always been a big part of my life. But that became the one thing I hung it on my faith there. Because again, yeah. I'm alone. I'm isolated. I'm praying the rosary alone every day which can be beautiful, but can also be lonely. Yeah. But I had the daily mass and, and Father Andy had adoration, you know, one night a week. So I go to adoration. And so it really strengthened me in a yeah. lot of ways that I had the, the Eucharist every day. And again, my people knew after a while, like, where's he going to lunch? Where's he going to lunch? And why is he always walking, you know, yep. West down, <laughs> you know, end street. Um, and it was also cool. I, I hired 
a person from Hillsdale College when I got there to become my executive admin. And Megan, again, shouts out to Megan. She's amazing, beautiful young Catholic woman. She she set my schedule so she could keep meetings off of my calendar during you know yep. lunchtime mass. So, and oftentimes we would go together too because she loved to go to daily nice. mass. So we were really like a little Catholic oasis <laughs> uh-huh. living in D.C. and just you know again doing our best to be faithful and. So one of the things I've noticed about you over the years is that <clears throat> you you just have steadfastness. You're very you're very firm in your your faith. You're firm in your your thought process. Your you and and I think one of the ways you just evangelize is the the steadfastness is also vocal, right? There's the, there's this unwavering confidence in, in in what you believe and and how you live your life. What it, is it daily mass that you would attribute to that steadfastness? Because so many people they get in these moments of, okay, I'm in the world, and then I just start questioning myself, or something doesn't work out, and then I start questioning. And you've you've done so many different projects. Like the the entrepreneur in you is like, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this. And, and and I'm sure some succeed, some fail. Some succeed, some fail. How do you, how do you remain steadfast um, and confident in the midst of success and failure, in the midst of uh, people accepting you and people rejecting you. What's what's your secret for yeah. steadfastness? That's a great question. I don't know that I know the answer to. I think it probably would come back to the Marine Corps and the mm. military experience and that discipline that it set. But at the same time, I think it's probably part of my nature. God made me this way. Mm-hmm. From the earliest times I can remember, like I was always discipline. Like, I don't know why, but I always made my bed. I always had a clean room. Like I always needed order in my life. Right. I don't do well with chaos. Um, so, and, and again, we know long list of virtues and vices, and I may have this virtue of perseverance. I would call it that. Mm. And and that's God's gift to me, but I, I'm certainly lacking in other virtues, (laughs) patience being among them, (laughs) gentleness. Um, (laughs) So for whatever I may have in some virtues, I certainly lack in many other virtues. Um, very much a work in progress. But um, yeah, I think there's a real strength in, in that uh, structure, right? Dis- discipline, perseverance. And, and I, honestly, I just don't know any other way. Like mm-hmm. I just don't know how else I would operate. And, and I'm fortunate now, I don't even understand what's going on like in the last 12 months of my life is really kind of crazy things are happening. One is I've transformed my diet. So I don't know if you know the carnivore diet or you heard of it where you only eat meat. Sounds good. It's great <laughs> in many ways. Um, I've, I've heard about it from Joe Rogan and uh, Jordan Peterson. You may know Jordan okay, Peterson. Yeah. So they've adopted this in, in a variety of ways. And, and for Jordan Peterson, it's a, it's a health thing. Like he had some health concerns and he found that by only eating meat, it alleviated all of his, his issues so I have adopted that as well. And it's more about intermittent fasting. So I eat a noon meal and an evening meal, and I don't eat again until the following noon. So you get about a 14-hour intermittent fast, mm-hmm. which is really good for your body. And then you cut out all sugar, basically. So mm-hmm. I don't eat anything anymore other than protein, basically meat. Now, again, you have to be careful with this diet. You have to obviously supplement that with vitamins and yep. supplements of like greens and whatnot. So, but I only eat meat. And in addition to really, I've lost 26 pounds of weight. I feel better than I've ever felt just physically other than my bad knee. I feel great. One of the things I found out is I don't need to sleep. <laughs> like I really don't need to sleep anymore. 
Um, I used to always be. Now the audience is like, okay, Ryan is a machine. (laughs) At one point, I thought he was normal, but he's just turned into a machine. (laughs) Well, he eats nothing but meat and and doesn't doesn't sleep sleep and raises 10 children. It, it is weird. I can't. I can't explain it. Again, I, I used to always be an early riser, so I like getting up early. Six a.m. was my usually time to get up. I love an hour alone with the Lord every morning. Yeah. I'll make a cup of coffee. Um, I have a very prescribed prayer that I like to go through: litany of saints and devotions to Padre Pio and different things that I've had a very routine. I'm very routine, you know, oriented. If you can yeah, imagine, I, I have seen it. <clears throat> um, and again, usually Shannon and the kids aren't up until seven or later. So I, I'm very selfishly, I, I want my holy hour in the morning where I have coffee and I pray, pray the rosary. But now, again, since changing my diet, like it's 5 a.m. Yeah. And I just wake up mm-hmm. and I can't go back to sleep even <laughs> until six. And the Lord's just like, you're up. Yeah. Takes some more time. So now it's a two hour. I get a two hour yeah. kind of thing every morning from like five to seven. I'm up and I'm. And I'm reading now more than ever. Right? I love reading. I'm always I'm always into five or six different books and podcasts. Right? I mm-hmm. love these new mediums of information. I'm in this mode in my life right now where I just can't get enough yep. information. I'm reading. I'm watching podcasts again, listening to all these different things. I'm learning things about biology and um, just love it. And and the <clears throat> Lord really is giving me energy. I'm, yeah. I'm not a machine. Yeah. But again, I go to bed at midnight. Every night, usually, and mm-hmm. I get up at five. So I'm, yep. I'm operating on five hours of sleep, and I'm not tired. Yeah. I'm just not tired. Like I feel like the Lord is giving me strength yeah. for all these things I'm doing in my life. Number one thing, again, being a, a husband, a father, yeah. trying every day to be attentive and present to my wife and my kids and being back home, which, by the way, I'm back home, yep. so it's great. I'm able to work from home now for the most part, yep. and I, I love being home. Well, and, and I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, so I would just say, whether it's the diet or whether it's just the Holy Spirit yeah. is the Lord, whatever. <laughs> a little bit of both. Very little sleep these days, and I'm just operating in 10 different directions every day. Yep. And I have a very prescribed routine. Again, we, we pray the rosary every night still as a family, but I have my, my phone alarm set for 3 p.m. every day. Like, that alarm goes off, it's Divine Mercy Chapel. Yep. Like, I need routine and regular um, breaks in my day where I stop and pray, stop and read, yep. pray with my family. And that just seems to be bearing fruit. Like, again, I've, I've never felt better physically. I've never felt better spiritually. Um, so you're about to launch <clears throat> yourself into a new career path uh, and, and really dive into uh, the hospitality industry. And you're going to be opening up just a whole bunch of uh, just a large business, large scale business, yeah. which I'm not sure we're allowed to talk about a whole lot of it right now. <clears throat> we'll bring you back on in two years <clears throat> once you've once that has exploded all yeah. over the country. But um, the what would you say to like a young person who has kind of an entrepreneurial spirit? They're a young adult. They're hungry to and eager to dive into the world of business, um, and, and they and they want to remain faithful. Uh, what what are kind of what have, do you have a, a guiding principle for you as you dive into an on, entrepreneurial spirit and to remain steadfast in your faith? Yeah. So I guess. Again, as as you teach here at Damascus, obviously, that, that this is a missionary, you know, life we live. We're all called to be missionaries. We're all called to be disciples. We're all called to go forth. Whatever our station is in life, we're called to be mission for Jesus. Um, you have to take that out in the world. I mean, you have a choice, right? You hide it under a bushel basket or you let your light shine. And you don't have to be overtly in everyone's face all the time. You just have to live your faith. Mm-hmm. And 
if you, you may be in the workplace today, right? In a kind of a normal job, we'll say normal job in the workplace. And if you are, you know, you're constantly attacked and the workplace is lost to Satan for the most part. Every company out there is woke. They're all leftist. They're all LGBT, you know, Q plus, whatever, pride, everything. We're in pride month, I think. So everything now is rainbows everywhere. Yeah. So for you to be boldly, authentically Catholic in today's workplace, first of all, you're a saint. <laughs> you're fighting a hard uh, fight. You're already, into, you're already like, going against the culture. Right. But it's little things, right? Again, it's, it's maybe wherever your workspace is at work, if you're still working in a traditional space, you're not working from home, have a crucifix on your desk. Have a Bible on your desk. Have something authentically Catholic on your desk that at least identifies you as who you are. Mm. One, to remind you as you look at it all the time, oh, yeah, and, and remind others around you. It's, it's okay. Again, you might get attacked for it, mm-hmm. or, you, or you might get questioned about it, right? You, you will be given opportunities to evangelize through that sort of witness. Yeah. So don't be afraid to be who God calls you to be. Again, you don't have to wear the T-shirt to work with the aborted baby on it and get in everyone's <laughs> face and say, I want to engage you. It doesn't work? It doesn't work. Oh, man, I'm shocked. Um, yeah. It, there are more subtle ways to engage. Well, I think using your family as well is such a, a brilliant mindset because the, uh, the normal conversation on Monday is, how was your weekend? Or the normal conversation on Friday is, what are you doing this weekend? And so when you, when you have those two moments where... Um, you can share about what you do in your free time, how you how you spend time with your family, how like what did you go to a retreat? Did you go to adoration? Did you go to mass? Like those are so s- simple. A person opens that door for you, so it allows right. for that natural conversation. That your life is the story to be told. It's the it's the gospel. Yeah. Again, I keep coming back to this: live the adventure, right? Which is yeah. the Damascus mantra, if you will. I've never understood anyone who says mass is boring. Right, we, we've heard that since yep. the '60s. That's yep. right? why they radically transformed the mass with symbols and dancing and kumbaya. Well, I, I mean, mass John, is boring. John was laying on Jesus's shoulder at the Last Supper. Was he the first one to fall asleep at mass? We don't know. We no, don't I'm know. <laughs> and and even people say, "Oh, the faith is boring." Or I, I don't know what church they're in. I don't know what mass they're going. Like I don't know anything about this journey we're on. That's boring. Yeah, there is no, nothing no. about the. If you're doing it right, it's it's. It's pretty high. It's the most exciting thing you can do literally Uh with your day. The Lord will never give you a cross to bear called boredom. Yeah. Like that's just not something he gives Uh us. Um, so yeah, I mean, go out into the world, be authentically who you are, right? Be Catholic, be bold. Don't be afraid of that. Don't hide your right, your light. And then, um, if you're, an entrepreneurial sort of person, you want to like figure out like, what does the Lord want me to do in business? I mean, obviously it starts with prayer. You have yep. to pray like, Lord, is this of you? Right. Yeah. So this business you talk about, for example, we talked about it last year when I was here and I thought it was ready to go. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost ready still. It's not <laughs> quite done. In fact, it might even be next week. It could be done, but I've been working on it for over two and a half years. And I've questioned myself along the way, like, Lord, really, is this what you want me to do? It seems like it is, but I'm not sure. And what I always get from the Lord is like, yes, just patience, perseverance mm-hmm. in my time, not yours. We'll do this my way. Yeah. And again, I don't want to, I don't know what's going to happen, but again, I think we're really, really close to finally being ready to start. I've got a, a team of half a dozen guys around the country ready to go. Looks like the Lord is saying mm-hmm. it's time to go. But every day it's, it's that prayer. I have to surrender to God, abandon myself to God, say, God, 
today is your day. Yeah. Like, let me serve you. Um, let me, everyone I encounter today, let them not see me, but let them see you yeah. in me. And, and whether, again, you're in the ministry or you're working in business or if I'm leading a business or whatever, that's what your prayer has to be. Like, yeah. Lord, I want my service today to be for your glory, for the glory of the kingdom. Any any sufferings I may encounter today, Lord, or endure today, let that be for you as well. Let that be grace for that. Apply that grace where you want, whether it's to the holy souls in purgatory or like the more, you know, I engage this and the older I get, the longer I go. The one thing that's really struck me is that the more you can have every moment of your day oriented to Christ, the happier you'll be, the more successful you'll yeah. be, the better off you'll be. You can't take your faith and put it on the shelf from nine to five. Yeah. And then say, okay, well, I'll be a, a, a prayerful man in the morning and I'm going to go to work and not be, and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to be with my family, be a man of God. I mean, it has to permeate every Everything. second of your day and be constantly thinking about, Lord, how can I serve you? Mm. Um, there's another saying I put on the fridge a few weeks ago for the kids again. <laughs> what do you call that? The fridge what? Fridge wisdom. Fridge, fridge wisdom. Got it. Um, it says something to the effect that someone somewhere in the world today is expecting you to be what God needs you to be for them. Mm. Like, right? So yep. think about that. Like somewhere, you don't know where, God may put someone in your life today that he's going to call you to have something to do with them. You have to be ready for that. Like it's basically be ready to see Christ in everyone, right? In everything. Yeah. And and be prepared to serve. Mm. Um, so I love that. That's how we have to engage every day. All right. So being the camp family that has sent more kids and had more missionaries than any mm. other family in <laughs> Damascus, CYSC history, what, uh, I mean, it would be wrong if I didn't close with some sort of a commercial. What kind of fruit have mm. you seen in your kids' lives over their years with Catholic Youth Summer Camp or even your, your children who have served as missionaries, the, uh, the fruit that you've seen in their lives while here? Yeah. Yeah. That's maybe my favorite question of the day. I get to, <laughs> I get to give you kudos for a minute. Um, I think the fruits speak for themselves. And you asked about how is it possible our kids are still Catholic. Um, again, that's, that's prayer. First and foremost, it's God, it's perseverance, it's the culture, but our, our older kids now are old enough, right? So 25, 23, 21, 19, that Shanna and I, first of all, we're not resting on our laurels because we still have little kids to <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah. Our youngest, Maggie, is six, so we've got a long way to go. She seems pretty solid. Yeah, well, <laughs> she is the 10th of 10, so she may be a little entitled, a little spoiled, but we're, we're trying to work that out yeah. of her. Um, so I'm very fortunate again now. I've, I have adult children, so I have, I have adult children that I can have adult conversations with, and I have, and, and, wait, and I continue to have, and I just want to ask them, like, look, I'm not perfect as a parent. I, I know I wasn't perfect with you. Like, just tell me growing up what it was I got right. What did I get wrong? What would you have me do differently as a parent? Because, again, I'm still parenting yeah, young kids. Awesome. This is the feedback loop <laughs> yeah, that I need, right? This is good stuff. <laughs> and if I, don't, if I don't use the wisdom of the earlier ones to apply to the yeah. later ones, I'm an idiot, right? Yeah. So I have to do that. So, And that's been beautiful. My, my uh, older adult children have been very willing to say to me, you know what, Dad? When you did this, remember that? Remember that? Yeah. That was, that was really hard. Like, I, I was really crushed by that, or I was hurt by that, or yeah. that wasn't helpful. Um, and so we do that. We, we, we're, Shannon and I both kind of checking in with our older kids, like, what did you like, not like? I mean, and, and so we're adapting our parenting 
you know, a bit for the younger ones, trying to get better at it all the time. And one of the things I've always asked those kids as they've gotten older, like Hannah, you know, our mm -hmm. beautiful daughter, Hannah, yeah. 21, who's went through camp here all those years, has been a missionary here, counselor here, she's worked here. And, and I say, like, why are you still Catholic? Like, what is it about you that makes you still want to be? What were the things in your life that we gave you in your life that helped make you Catholic and keep you Catholic? Mm -hmm. All of our kids, independent of one another, because we're not asking them in a group. This is an individual <laughs> conversation. Every one of those adult kids has said Damascus. Mm. Damascus was possibly the most impactful thing in my life mm. from seventh grade to 12th grade. Now, again, we love you, Dad and Mom. We loved praying the rosary. Yep. We loved that consistent home life you gave us. But it was Damascus and that experience every year in our lives that showed us how to be Catholic, how to live in the world dynamically Catholic, mm. how to not be afraid to be Catholic. And again, to see what community looks like lived out, right? This is what the church should be. Yeah. What we have here at Damascus, this beautiful community of family and kids, that's what God wishes for the whole world yeah, to live absolutely. like this in love <laughs> and in passionate worship and devotion and commitment to him. Right. Mm. So all of our kids, I, and I'm not just, you know, trying to kiss up to you. I'm telling yeah. you all of our kids that come back and say, one of the most impactful things you did for us as kids was send us to Damascus. Well, I think that's, that's what so I, beautiful. What I've noticed is that parents, they need an outlet for their kids another voice. So th th what a child needs is a steadfast home of faith plus another resource of faith that it's the both and that when, and when you have just the, the resource of faith, like a youth group or camp without the steadfastness at home, it's really hard to maintain the faith. Right. And when you have the steadfast at home without a vibrancy outside the home, it's really hard because then the, qu the kids question the parents and they don't have another thing to say, Oh wait, my parents aren't idiots. And, and, but when you have that combo, there's something really special that happens in a young person's That's... life. It, it, it develops spiritual maturity and uh, a missionary spirit in them. That's exactly right. You here confirm what we're trying to teach them at home, right? Which again, they'll naturally, they tend to question it. Like, are you sure? Yep. Am I being raised in a cult yeah. or is this crazy? <laughs> But you give them that example and foundation, and then they go somewhere completely away from the family and see that same thing confirmed. Yep. They're like, oh, my parents aren't crazy. Yeah, exactly. They are trying to teach well, me Well, maybe they too. are crazy, well, but these people are crazy too. They're crazy too, right. <laughs> so you're absolutely right. What you do here is such a blessing to the world. And I'm not just saying that. It's truly mm -hmm. a blessing to the world. You confirm for us parents in our kids what it is we're trying to tell them and teach them all these years. Yeah. And you show them just every day that it can be done. Yeah. It, you guys do it literally here year round, every day of the year, right? It's not just one week at camp. Yeah. You live this life all year and it's yeah. such a beautiful witness to them to show them like Hannah, again, our daughter who's now working and um, just has a beautiful, holy life. She's not afraid to go out into the world and she's a writer. So she writes for different publications and she writes from an authentically Catholic perspective. And she's mm -hmm. not afraid to call a spade a spade yeah. and, and say it like it is. And, and all of her friends, same thing, some of whom are Catholic and some aren't. Like, she's just unafraid Which is to be Catholic. Because her disposition isn't naturally bold and outspoken, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, you're bold and outspoken. <laughs> Hannah's more quiet and reserved, and yet she still has that confidence in the power and authority yeah. in her voice, yeah, which but is so cool. Her and all the kids, when you really, like, put them in a corner, 
You force them to be, oh, yeah. they'll be boldly, tough. authentically, <laughs> toughly Catholic. They were raised by a Marine. Were, <laughs> well, this yeah. is awesome, Ryan. I, I, I'm so blessed. It's, it's been a lot of fun to chat with you, to hear your story more. And uh, just thank you for uh, the life you've lived and the, the witness you are to the gospel. Yeah. Well, thank uh, you. Any, any last me. things you want to share? Well, again, I just would thank you for these you know, 14 great years of friendship, 14 years of the camp, the gift you are to my family, my kids. Um, you know we love you and support you as much as we can. We're going to continue to send our kids here. Um, <laughs> we got another 14 years. Another 14 years to go. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so we're just so grateful for that. Uh, please pray for me. I know you do every day. You pray mm-hmm. for all of us. Know that our family every night lifts this place up in the, in the rosary every night. So let's pray for one another. Yeah. Always lift each other up. Encourage one another. Um, yeah. Yeah, just continue to be brothers yeah. in Christ. And Amen. I love this. Yeah, let's pray. Okay. Father, yeah. Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we're so grateful for um, faith and family. We're so thankful for the fact that you have called us as the lay church to be a, the light in the world. Lord, we thank you for the amazing adventure that our faith is, the amazing way you have allowed us to partner with you in redeeming uh, civilization. We pray, Lord, that you would just continue to usher in a culture of life and destroy the culture of death. We pray that you would allow anyone who works in the world, Lord, to have uh, power and confidence and authority to proclaim you and to live you every day of their lives. I just pray if this uh, show has touched a person's heart that you would allow um, the Holy Spirit to just transform them, Lord, to be a more effective and joy-filled witness to the gospel. And we thank you for Ryan and his witness, that we thank you for all families who are, are living the faith vibrantly, and we pray that you would continue to pour out your blessings on the church. We consecrate our lives to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Amen. Amen. And amen. Father, amen. Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. amen. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. And if this show was impactful for you, or you know someone who would be transformed by this show, make it your mission to share this episode with someone else so their life can be changed. Uh, join us next week on Beyond Damascus. We want to thank our sponsors, uh, especially those at St. Gabriel Radio for helping us Uh, share this good news of the gospel with the world. God bless.